Hello, welcome back to season two of the Faith in Development podcast brought to you by Tear Fund. My name is Sabine Hussi. Today, you will hear a conversation between two of my colleagues here at Tear Fund. Francesca Quirk is our Sexual and Gender-Based Violence Programs Manager and is based in the UK. And Mary Tamari is the Gender and Inclusion Specialist and is based in Kenya. In the conversation, they discuss social norms, especially in relation to gender, and how these impact our daily lives. I really hope you enjoy the conversation. You know, Nairobi is the city um, under the sun, so it's nice and bright and warm. Today is about 25 degrees centigrade, so uh, that, that's pretty warm, but something we're used to. I like it. I would like that very much as well. Here in Brighton, it is grey and, yeah, not, not 24 degrees, as you might imagine. Um, well, good to be able to chat with you. We've been talking a lot on our podcast so far about SGBB interventions and the work that we have been partnering with different communities and organizations on, on working with survivors and on transforming masculinities, looking at gender norms and the role of faith in that. And this session or this episode, it's great to be able to have a conversation just a bit more broadly about, about social norms. I know that We've been talking a lot about gender norms um, and how they're important in transform masculinities, but I think we're aware that gender norms are something that impact all of us, right? And I know that that's something that you've got a lot of background in and that maybe you can just say a bit about the, the work that you've done and some of your research areas as well and the role that you do at TFN. So I, I am, uh, of course, a team member in the Gender and Protection Unit as the Gender and Inclusion Specialist. Um, and really my role is to uh, support the integration of gender lens into all the work that we do at TFN, in the programs and in the advocacy, to support really the awareness that gender affects everything we do, even how we do, even how we make decisions, even how our, our interventions are received or even implemented. And that's something we can't afford to ignore. And so it's such a joy to be here to, to be sharing this with you. Um, my previous experience has been leading um, development projects here in, in Kenya and, and supporting other, other countries in Eastern Africa region, um, but also done extensive research in the areas of um, gender norms, particularly on how uh, when there's a situation of prolonged livelihood uh, difficulties, what do people do? What are the gender power dynamics um, between people as they try to cope with the period of prolonged um, uh, livelihood uh, difficulties? One of the findings I found out is that gender norms or gendering practices play a big role on um, how people cope, sometimes in harmful ways but also in ways that um, create opportunities and spaces for people to, to access um, resources mm -hmm. or uh, business opportunities. Um, I'm sure that can be a conversation for another day, but just to say that um, being aware of norms that um, influence how people relate with each other, how resources are shared, how leadership is conducted, or even how you participate um, is very important. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I hope this will be useful too. 
people who listen. I think as you've talked about gender norms affect all of our work and we've been talking about it, particularly in our SGBV interventions, transforming masculinities, but as you say, applicable for all of us and across all of our work. And I think sometimes, you know, we kind of use the terms gender norms, but we don't really know what, what they are. And so I think, you know, it can be helpful to think about norms as the unspoken rules that operate in society, right? That people tend to be aware of them, but at the same time, they can kind of be invisible. Like if we think about, you know, there's lots of types of norms. If we think about cultural norms, every culture, you know, there are different ways in different cultures that you might greet someone or that you might um, do hospitality or resolve conflict. And a lot of the time we're not aware of, of those norms, those unspoken rules, until we kind of hit up against them, right? And then we're like, oh, okay, that's a different way of doing things. And so if we think about these gender norms, often, which are really about what are the ways that men and women should behave in society? How should men be men? How should women be women? What's accepted, you know, in that particular community or social network, environment, institution, there are kind of these assumptions about what is acceptable, right? But they're invisible a lot of the time. And so it's like, how do we become aware of them? And, and why do we need to become aware of them? I guess is the big question. It's true, as you say, most of these rules are really unconscious and spoken because they are us. We are operating in, in that as well. And, and it can be unconscious, but sometimes it can be unconscious. I mean, harmful, harmful norms can be used um, um, to advantage some people and not others. I'll give you some of the examples of um, some that we might be, I mean, a bit more familiar with. I mean, just a norm like real men should not show emotions. Real mm -hmm. men don't cry. Real men don't show vulnerability. And, and young people, young boys grow up thinking like that. And, um, and we see a lot of uh, mental health risks associated with that among men because then they don't reach out for help because they're not supposed to show that vulnerability, to show that emotion. Um, and therefore they don't deal with overwhelming situations by way of uh, sharing like the women do. So men are at risk. Others say that real men should never be broke or unemployed. And that kind of pressure lead mm. to some, you know, negative compensating behaviors, like even violence when a man is completely feeling useless and they feel the only thing they have left is their physical strength to hit somebody to feel something better or lead to crime uh, so mm -hmm. that they can they can be in that position to be who they're supposed to be according to the normative rules in the community where they live. It's that's related to the one that says real men uh, providers, not caregivers, you know, mm -hmm. and we have um, that affecting how family men take care of their children. So they, they think they, they mediate their love by giving but not by being there, by caring, by participating. And that can perpetuate, um, you, know, you know, parenting that two parents, especially men are distanced. But the women also, there are norms about them. For example, some like that came out of my own research that I did um, on femininity, that things like body and looks are markers of acceptable beauty, you know, the shape of somebody's body, the color, of their skin, the shape, you know. Um, their height, you know, or, or, I mean, that kind of thing. And, and these markers are kind of um, dictate or influence what people feel about themselves. 
you know. And in some cases, they even determine who is included and excluded in what opportunities, you know, norm of who is acceptable. Other norms that um, kind of believe that women's value is in their sexual appeal, you know, like object of sexual pleasure. Mm -hmm. And when that is pervasive among men or even women themselves, um, they end up in exploitative relationships, you know, uh, sexual, you know, uh, transactions, um, because they think or they believe, because that's what, that's what the norm is, that they're object of sexual desire by men and other people. Others that women do not have clear judgment and therefore cannot be trusted with leadership or decision-making. And, and again, these norms, it's not just the people perpetuating them or using them, but even the women themselves believe in that. And therefore they'll be quiet, they'll not give their opinion, they'll not volunteer to lead, you know, they'll not lead confidently because they believe and the people around them believe that, well, clear judgment, not too sure. Um, and then this is, and, and this other, this norm um, even show up in, in uh, institutional um, like policies or even, I mean, the way uh, laws are made or, or um, how institutions decide what happens to what. Take something, for example, maternity leave, you know, or, or childcare policies. And I tend to think to some extent, the leave given to women who have children uh, sometimes can be very short. And this is in belief that women's biological responsibilities or reproductive responsibilities that ch like childbearing are a liability to the economy, which is not mm -hmm. the case. And so it is quickly have your baby go back to work uh, without taking enough time to care for that. Because really humans, the, a child is a human resource that a woman produces. So in every sense, this is economic contribution. But why are laws? You know, the laws are operating under that, that norm to the extent that they don't see that value of that contribution. So these are some of them we could sit here all day long yeah. and talk about the norms, like the ones that um, uh, women appreciated for their role as mother for motherhood. And if you're childless, or in some cases, if you have no son, like in the context uh, of um, like in a part of Africa, even in my own country, like out of the research I did, they are even violated for not producing children, apparently for the man or not producing a son. They are excluded from owning property or resources or accessing livelihood because of um, deviating from that norm. Yeah, so those, those are some of the examples, um, Frankie. Um, yeah. And there's much more really that is there. Yeah, it's interesting that there can be um, also it seems like operating uh, almost contradictory norms. So norms for complying with motherhood, norms for spending too much time on caring. There's all these kind of complex um, web of them. I think what's also what you were saying was really interesting about norms that operate at a communal, like community level. Institutions are made up out of people. They're not set yeah. from the people that make up the institutions. So obviously there's that, those norms circulating. And then those institutions also serve to reinforce the norms. So you've got these feedback loops that are, that are ongoing. And I think that's important to think about it, well, in all of our work, because unfortunately, you know, norms aren't, you know, necessarily negative. But when we yeah. look at gender norms, a lot of them do 
uphold male superiority. And so there are a lot of gender norms that do perpetuate inequality. And so if our aim is to get to gender equality, like we need to look at these norms, because I think, you know, it's also interesting if we're looking at like behavior change or like you can have an attitude, right? You as an individual, yeah, you can believe that women should be in leadership, that women should work outside of the home, that women should be economically independent, whatever that might be. But if the norms around you are very strong in an opposite way, if you perceive that, you know, it's not common for, for women to practice leadership in your context or in your network, and yeah. you perceive that that's not going to be okay, like that your parents might disagree, that your spouse, your siblings, your faith leader then it's going to be very hard, even if it's something you believe, to actually put that into practice, right? And that's kind of the power of norms. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really, because we are it, again, I'm saying that even in education spaces, in schools, in religious traditions, in politics, in media, in health, we we see a representation that um, sometimes pits women as victims, not... um, not all holders of their own agency or influencers of their own interests and needs. And, and sometimes it's because of the way things are and, and women get there, those who money to get there and end up just, I mean, falling in the game of that. And, and, and yeah, it can be very pervasive. And so when we think about gender norms in um, our development work, in our advocacy work, we need to be asking the questions, even beyond the numbers. You know, numbers, what do I mean? Um, when we say sometimes gender equality, I think the most, uh, the simplest way of thinking about it is do we have equal numbers, frankly, do we have equal numbers? But equal numbers is one level. It is within those numbers, who is participating? Right, right. right? Who is shaping yeah. the agenda that comes on that table where there are equal numbers, right? Whose interests, mm-hmm. whose needs, uh, presented there are, are the needs of men and their interests and their vulnerabilities on the table and the same thing with women and in mm-hmm. most cases because historical tradition is it historically yeah historically women's have been marginalized in a lot of leadership and decision making positions we uh, even now we have more women I mean less women in most of these places and and mm-hmm. and because of that norm also that defines a good woman I mean good femininity as you know quiet non-questioning submissive agreeable submissive we can find women in equal numbers but they're not speaking they're not participating they're not giving their opinions so when we are designing our projects or having community dialogues to understand people's interests and needs we also need to know what exists behind that, what exists behind who speaks, who doesn't speak, who questions who, who can't question who, okay? And even among women themselves, um, to, to, dis, to actually be aware that there are differences. Younger women and older women in the same space, definitely, you, you guess who's, whose voice will be heard. Right? Mm-hmm. Maybe your context might be different from mine, but older women have more, more voice, of course, in the presence of younger women. And therefore, I mean, just being aware of those things and not being blind to them. 
Yeah, sorry, I got um, distracted. I was thinking about in my point. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, age is a different one. Maybe as in, in the UK, maybe as um, women get older, they have uh, less voice, they kind of oh, really disappear a bit. Mm. Oh, for, I mean, here, grey hair is powerful. Ah, okay. The yeah. number of years, there's power in age, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, maybe more for yeah. men than for women, I think, in the UK. But when we look at, um, I mean, the example of Jesus. Right. And, and the way he treats, uh, the way he operates within norms. He, mm -hmm. he is born among a people called Jews, right? And these people are not um, normless, right? They have their own norms. They have their way that, um, yeah, they have rules of, mm -hmm. of operating uh, relationships and, and everything else. Um, but there's one example that really amazes me at how Jesus just... Um, navigates that space of norms to give us a different way of looking at what we should be looking at as far as uh, gender equality is concerned. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38 42, where um, uh, the story of Mary and Martha, Mary mm. is uh, busy sitting at the feet of Jesus having this conversation, and Martha is busy uh, working in the kitchen, doing a wonderful thing that um, supports the thriving of a family. Every flourishing home must have someone who cooks, right? A very mm -hmm. important role. And it's a role that is uh, within the norms of a lot of, a lot of places. So she was doing something useful. She, um, and Mary was also doing something else. She was not in the kitchen, but she was listening and having a conversation with, with uh, Jesus Christ. Um, so how Jesus interacts uh, with, uh, with these two women, uh, when Martha comes and says, um, you know, I'm, all, I'm working um, alone or alone in the kitchen, cooking for everyone, and Mary just here sitting, doing nothing. Um, so Jesus um, um, kind of um, operates in a countercultural way to respond to Martha countercultural in, in the fact that he does not join mother in condemning Mary, but he does not also condemn mother in being in the kitchen. Mm. Affirms them as humans of value, both of them in what they have chosen for that particular time. He, he doesn't even rebuke mother. He just adds value to, to he, he, he gives mother another idea of what else you could possibly do in addition to what you already do. You could sit here like Mary, and he says, Mary has chosen that good part mm -hmm. by sitting and listening. Okay, so what mm -hmm. he does there, he does not stop and say, Mother, you can't cook anymore. From now on, you guys sit under my feet and listen to me. No, he expands the horizon of what a woman can possibly do by demonstrating that you can as well cook but this is also something that is of value. Now, in the Jewish culture then, women were believed not to be uh, intellectually capacitated to have deep religious or spiritual conversations, at least mm -hmm. not with men, you know? And, and, but by Jesus accepting to have a conversation with Mary, it is saying, no, you are included. Right. Conversations that is of value to you and just as it is to men. So he's not only affirming Mary, he's showing mother more, mm -hmm. more possibilities. He does not condemn her 
um, but commends Mary for her desire to learn uh, the word of God. So Mary's desire to engage intellectually and spiritually for that matter was affirmed by Jesus and, and really acknowledging. And I'm sure this was in the presence of men, is in the mm -hmm. presence of people. I mean, this was complete advocacy and influencing happening here by his action. Mm -hmm. But also the other very interesting thing Jesus does as part of his journey in another story is referring to the woman in Luke chapter 13, 13 verse 16, the woman who was bent over and he calls her daughter of Abraham. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, by calling her daughter of Abraham is positioning her as part of the story of God. You know, mm -hmm. woman, Abraham is the father of it. Positioning is telling her, you know what? He accords her spiritual status equal to that of men by calling her that. Look here. In most of the norms, women are seen through victim lens. Jesus does not see this bent woman as the bent woman. Mm -hmm. No. He, he sees her through the lens of, you belong, daughter of Abraham. Mm -hmm. Spiritual status included you know, not in the lens of a victim. And that's the same thing he does to the woman who had a bleeding problem. He calls her daughter. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this really speaks to a lot of norms, especially norms that mischaracterize women. For example, when a woman is strong and assertive and well, you know, confidently spoken, Frankie, you know what that what they will be called. They'll be called what? <laughs> uh, bossy. They are bossy. They are seen as bossy, stubborn, you know? Mm -hmm. So this positive thing about a woman is completely turned, you know, most of our norms as, you know, a, a character that is not acceptable. But Jesus does opposite. Yeah, so, I love that. I was just going to say, yeah, there were so many things to, to think about in what you were saying. I love that picture because um, with Mary and Martha, because I feel like often Martha gets a bit of a raw deal, like almost she's often used as this example of being distracted or not kind of discerning what, what Jesus had for her or sometimes getting too caught up in practical matters and being busy and everything. But she's saying like Martha was conforming with what was expected of her. She was doing her duty. She was caring for others. And I love what you said about Jesus recognizing that and affirming it and not, yeah, like not taking that away from her. But at the same time, the space for Mary. Uh, yeah, I really love what you're saying about like, so not only did he affirm Mary, not only did he make um, education, spiritual knowledge open to Mary, mm -hmm. But he modeled that he drew attention to it, that modeled it both for other women, Martha, maybe there were also other women who were there helping and cooking, but also, as you say, to the men. And so he recognizes the norms. He doesn't he doesn't shame either of the women, but he opens up space for other possibilities and for other expressions of. I guess not even like being a woman, but just being a follower of Jesus, right? And then yes. um, even just. I love that, that even though speaking to that specific woman even just opens up the concept, oh yeah, there are daughters of Abraham as well as sons of Abraham. Yeah. All women are included in this story. Yeah, and I can't just imagine how, how affirming that would have been. It's possible, you know, when you had a disease that deformed your body, in most cases, like the lepers were called the lepers. They were not called John or Frankie or Mary or whoever. They were called the lepers people. 
But this is only naming somebody and giving her a position that is a recognized uh, spiritual status, even among, among men. And I really, I think the men may have just, if, if this, I mean, when Jesus was calling him, daughter of Abraham, it's possible the men turned and they're like, what, Jesus? Yeah. You know, the men not have voices, but it was a shock. You mean? So really, um, and I think this is what we need to be recognizing as we work with people, as we uh, prevent their exploitation or encourage their inclusion and empower them. We need to be looking at who they are in what they we want of them. I mean, we need to be labeling them with the end in mind, you know? Not just these poor people. I think that's not a good label. Not this beneficiary, but partner right. or, you know, business women. Mm -hmm. yes. Or, I mean, you call a bent woman, bent woman. She already knows. So you call a poor person, poor person, they already know. Mm -hmm. So by just the way we, we speak, we can start changing our thinking about the people we work with or even the people around us. Even it can help us think about how we design or how we strategize in, um, mm -hmm. yeah. in, in intervening in whatever different uh, situations people are in. Not ignoring that the people, people have, have more than just the face of the problem that you have just seen. Mm -hmm. yeah. But when we talk about gender equality, um, and this is the beginning point of really understanding gender norms. Mm. Um, what are we really aiming for? And we're aiming for us to move from being gender blind. Um, there's a whole spectrum of um, how a completely integrated gender programming should be. And that spectrum is from gender blind level to gender aware to gender specific, gender sensitive, and then gender transformative. Mm -hmm. Our aims is to be a gender transformative level. But what are all these others? And let me just quickly share that. The lowest level is um, gender blind. And this is a level where we ignore the power dynamics between men and women, between boys and girls. Mm -hmm. And often this might lead to ignoring also social, economic, political, and spiritual opportunities, rights, and entitlements associated with being a man or a woman. It's complete. It's really ignoring but being as just as the name suggests being blind it is in most cases people who are gender blind um, construct this idea from saying or having a principle of it's being fair you know we are treating everyone the same but people right. are not the same to be treated mm -hmm. because this completely ignores even gender differences in the roles and the needs and the risk and the vulnerability is completely seeing everyone the same. Mm -hmm. And often this reinforces harmful practices that violence, it um, leads to exploitation, gender-based discrimination, and even exclusion from say economic opportunities, leadership and decision-making. So we, this is where we don't want to be. That's why we right. need to yeah. be aware. Then the next stage, um, um, is really gender aware. And gender aware is, um, as the name suggests, is being aware of needs, differences in needs, interests, roles, power dynamics, ETC, we'll be talking about here. But what an organization like ours does with uh, our gender awareness is what really determines how useful this becomes. So um, 
we can either with our awareness be gender sensitive which is um, consider those differences as important for consideration but you know just know that they are there but we do not remit your action and this is what gender sensitive is you're aware you consider yeah yeah yeah, yeah there are differences but there's no remedial action that is done or developed to address that or to navigate that towards change the next level after gender sensitive is gender specific or gender responsive so this considers those differences in norms in roles in interests um, in needs in opportunities for uh, for women and men uh, girls and boys and also considers how they affect access to and control over resources or economic opportunities or health opportunities, you know, all the things that cause human to thrive or to flourish. Gender specific or gender responsive also um, intentionally targets and benefits a specific group of women or men to achieve a certain program goal, if that's the group that has been seen to be disadvantaged in that situation. So for example, in some places we might find street boys are more vulnerable to being recruited into crime and guns and, and now target them specifically because of that vulnerability they have. And in other cases, you find it is, it is girls who are spending too much fetching water and therefore they need specific or mm -hmm. responsive program that takes care of that. So that's being gender responsive. And this gender responsiveness makes it easier for men and women to fulfill duties that are ascribed to them based on their gender roles, but also to grow and to be empowered in that um, mm -hmm. and to push away the exploitation to prevent violation and um, other kind of thing. So I think that the continuous application of gender responsiveness is what leads to our main ultimate goal, which is gender transformative levels. But how does gender transformative level look like? Gender transformative level addresses the root causes of these issues, the differences, the risks. Why are men more prone to risk taking? Why are women more exploited sexually? We are asking the why level. Right. And, and this is because the behavior is what we see. We see the violent behavior. But that violent behavior is based on some values behind it. And so I'll give an example. I think something like addressing sexual and gender-based violence and supporting, for example, the survivors of sexual and gender-based violence uh, can be seen as a gender-responsive action. You know, we are responding to that particular issue mm. of violence. But when you go ahead to deal with the root causes of violence through transforming masculinities, a program that deals with mm -hmm. values and all that, that way, then we can say TM is a gender transformative action. And then SDBV support to survivors is responsive, you know? Mm -hmm. And we need all these at all levels. It's, it's like humanitarian response when there is emergency. The other one is like development. You're dealing with the issues to prevent the emergency or the disaster. And we need both at all times. So when we talk about things like gender responsive budgeting, gender responsive programming. It is because we want to target specific needs and interests and vulnerabilities and opportunities that are different from men and women, boys and girls, so that the end result can be transformative because we'll also be dealing with the root causes. And the main objective here is really gender equality. 
and in gender transformative programming, for example, we'll be even looking at what are the policies like? What are the laws like in different places? For example, if it's violence or um, um, exclusion from ownership of property, ETC, and how do we influence and advocate for change at that level? Because then that will affect more people, uh, women who have something to lay claim uh, legally. So I think this, this gives um, an understanding of what our aims are. And at the end of the day is to be able to really in our targeting, designing of our projects, we're thinking about all these things so no one is left behind. So no issues are left behind and just being aware that whatever we do needs to be responsive, but it also needs to be transformative. Every project, every community has to have that awareness because yeah we are people and we are everywhere yeah and you know it's not just men to be aware or women to be aware it's all of us to be aware because we are practicing practicing it you know practicing gender is actually when a woman or even a man just just gets into the shoes of what is expected even if sometimes it can be harmful mm. i mean take for example um if you're in a boardroom frankie at least maybe not in your context in mind you're in a boardroom you're a woman and there are men in that in that space across the, the the discussion table. Anytime a woman, for example, gives an opinion, a man takes it in their own voice and explains it again. <laughs> I think that's in and, a lot of context <laughs> that that happens. <laughs> yeah, and 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 they are doing it with all genuine love and care. And and if you're a Christian and it's a child, they really love the Lord just like you do, but they come from um, a situation, norms that make them feel or think that a, a woman's voice needs a man's voice to legitimize it, to strengthen it, or to reinforce the idea. But you know, that's really silencing. And, and sometimes that can make women not to speak because, you know, what for? Um, <laughs> yeah. When I did trainings, often yeah. I would say something and there would be like a kind of silence and then like a male co-facilitator would say, and everyone would be like, oh, yeah. Do you see? So it's like, okay, let's take it. Let's, let's man it. Then, then it's, it's, it's more powerful, say, by a man. And, and I'll tell you, this can be a lot of times very unconscious. So I'm a mom of boys, and I'm having these conversations with them so that they see what, what's, that, what's really happening. Are you, has, are you helping your female cousin or your classmate? by No, no, no. Well, they don't do that, but just to be aware yeah. that some of these can be very unconscious, but they perpetuate something. Mm, maybe that's a, a good kind of point to wrap up our conversation. It's really encouraging to hear about the conversations you're having with your sons. How do we become aware of the norms and how do we interrupt them? Because I think yeah. it can, when we talk about gender norms, it can feel a little bit overwhelming, like how will anything change? But I think, you know, if we're thinking about norms and messages that we're hearing constantly in society, right? Norms are coming through teaching and preaching and the media and our relationships. It's like how in all those different spaces, can we start bringing in positive messages, right? Like if yes, negative messages, how can we replace them positive? And I think that- Yeah, and it's really, it's a, it's a concept of uh, pushing the, the darkness with the light. Mm. I, I think- we can't even remove some of these norms, but mm. we can push them by the right ones. We can replace, we can chalk with the right thing. Because in, in culture building, you don't build a culture by 
either believing it's not there or taking it away. No, you build another culture. That it's like a weed growing and then cho choking, I mean, a crop growing and then choking the crops. I think there's a parable to that effect. Mm. Create new culture that is positive, that causes flourishing of relationship between men, women, girls and boys. And then that becomes what replaces that. Mm. The way we just design the work we do, and, and this is part of it, what we are doing here today, by having this conversation so that we, I mean, to reinforce the need for this awareness. Mm, amazing. Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much for all of your insights and all of your sharing. It was fascinating to be able to talk with you about this and I'm sure we'll keep talking about it. But thanks again for your time. Uh, always my joy, Frankie. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed the conversation between Francesca and Mary and that it has awakened your appetite to examine how norms also play in your daily lives. Please join us again. And if you want to know more about our work or catch up on previous episodes of the Faith and Development podcast, please visit learn.tfund.org. See you next time.